Hello, everyone, and welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 132, and we're reviewing My Hero Academia Season 6 Part 2. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode. Another season of My Hero has come and gone. Six of them now. And as we talked about in our last review episode um, for the first half of season six, things are getting better. Things are looking much better. And I would say that they kind of had that same energy with the second half of the season. It's kind of funny that our review episode of part one was episode 123. And then now with part two, it's 132. Oh, I didn't uh, even notice that. Yeah, the numbers are sort of inverted. But yes, uh, I agree. Part two of season six just kept the hype going for my hero. And it's it's kind of unfortunate because apparently my hero is entering its final arc with season seven, which was announced at the conclusion of season six. So, you know, just as it's about to get better, it's also about to wrap up. And for anyone who hasn't tuned into our part one review of season six, go jump over to episode 123 of Strictly Anime. You'll want to hear that first because we do compare season six, at least the first half, quite a bit to some of the more, uh, some of the not so great seasons, which are the more recent seasons, uh, seasons four and five. Um, And we talk about how things have looked a lot better. And then you can jump back into this review here. But as far as where things have been going, it is nice that the show has been improving as we lead up to this final act. We did get confirmation of a seventh season, but I don't think they confirmed whether this would be the final season or not. So I'm going to assume that there might be more beyond a seventh season, but I guess I could also see them wrapping it up. Like where they kind of left things in season six, I feel like could be wrapped up in season seven. Although it's kind of strange because Kohei Horikoshi, the mangaka from My Hero, I think he's still working on the ending for for the series and it's going to it makes me wonder if we'll get into like an Attack on Titan final season situation where the quote unquote final season for my hero is going to end up being dragged out a bit just to give Horikoshi a little bit more time to work on the ending. But was Attack on Titan dragged out? I feel like it followed the manga. What do you mean by dragged out? Like like it like the release schedule was dragged out or like the story was dragged out? I, like more in terms of like release schedule because Attack on Titans manga ended around the time of the final season part one. Yeah, I recall that. Yeah. So I that's why I'm wondering if that's they're going to kind of do a similar approach for my hero with just kind of waiting on Horikoshi's ending. Because I don't think they should do an original ending and forego whatever Horikoshi is trying to write. Yeah, I don't think they'd do that. I think that'd be kind of crazy if they pushed My Hero to come out faster than it needs to. I don't see any confirmation here either about like when it's supposed to air. But this is me looking at Mal like hot off the heels of a confirmation of a seventh season. So they may not have updated the Mal listing or Mal entry yet. But uh, yeah, I would hope that if they need to wait, that they'll they'll wait so that we can we as anime only people can experience the same ending that the manga readers will have. I mean, it might be a break from their typical every year. There's a My Hero season sort of mold, but yeah, I'd I'd be willing to wait just to give 
more time for the story to fully flesh out in its conclusion. As far as the sixth season goes, now that we've completed it, and this is like fresh off the the conclusion of season six, um, I guess what, what were your high level like takeaways from this latter half? Because it, I would say the season as a whole was very intense um, and had kind of a more mature feel, but the latter half of season six was like fucking sad boy hour. Yeah, I mean the pro heroes are just totally fucked after all the things that happened in the first core of season six. And I think hero society is at their lowest point because public trust has begun to waver. And I think that's putting my hero in a very interesting place because heroes have been sort of championed and heralded throughout this series. And it's been something that's happened for far too long when it's been clear and that in some cases especially if you're looking at endeavor like the brighter the picture the darker the negative and yeah it was also just very interesting to see Midoriya in this sort of set in his sort of sad boy era as he's striving to distance himself from those that he loves in order to protect them because he knows he has to eventually face off against all for one and the sort of calamities and catastrophes that might come from that. But I think seeing how isolating yourself has sorrowfully played out before with certain storylines, it makes you wonder if he's going to fall into the same trappings as we witnessed this throughout the season. What did you get out of this second core though? I, I get the whole like Midoriya going through it. Like he's, he's going through it right now and I understand why because there's a lot at stake here and it's all resting on his shoulders but I am glad that the whole like spiraling into depression sad boy stuff only lasted for this half of the season because mm-hmm. it, it ends with him having more hope having support from his class 1a friends and all that so I'm like okay thank god this is not gonna linger into season seven because he's already one of those crybaby protagonists who are who's self-doubting and can be a little bit frustrating to watch. So if I would have to watch him be like extra depressed for more than half a season, I'd probably rip my hair out. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Yeah, it's funny how like season five felt so dragged out with that second tournament arc and then the League of Villains arc. And here, like seeing sad boy Midoriya that could have easily turned into a a full-fleshed I don't know 12 episodes Um, or I guess even like this was technically 12 13 episodes but yeah it could have dragged on more but this time around the arc was a lot more concise so it's almost like very interesting pacing with these different arcs that are going on he got out of his system like he got his self-doubt out of his system he got his fear out of his system mm-hmm. he you know he he had his moment and that's fine then he moved on and he's gonna you know tackle this head on so it's not again it's not that i think that midoriya wasn't justified in being really really moody this half of the season but if i had to continue watching that beyond the season i i would just i don't know i, I think i'd get really burnt out i would get really exhausted but I think the rest of the second half of season six was really good. Um, it was definitely an info dump. And that's kind of why we're jumping r- right into things with this episode, because we need a lot of time to talk through all of the lore that they gave us, all of the world building, 
all of like the backstory and everything because holy shit there were some episodes where I'm like I don't know what they're talking about like I had to stop and kind of think about what they were explaining to me for example like how one for all works and everything um so it's it's nice to have a fully painted picture or a better painted picture of the world of my hero because a lot of these things have been a mystery to us but they kind of crammed it all into just this half of the season yeah again strange that the part of the story of my hero that you are invested in most or that most we are invested in most right now is is made to be compact <laughs> compared to what's happened in previous seasons it's kind of like maybe they're sitting there thinking well we might have only one season left so let's just mm-hmm. let's just tell them everything they need to know yeah and this is an aside but i, I can't help but see comparisons to narratives and plots in other like superhero media thinking specifically of everyone's gonna roll my roll, roll their eyes the dark knight or the dark knight rises especially with like the city being decimated and all of these villains and convicts running free to do whatever they want in this lawless area um avengers infinity war <laughs> i think that the comparisons were pretty clear with this the first core of season six and then even like the incredibles if you remember the incredibles. how incredibles yeah how the the themes of the incredibles how that movie ended very similar to what happens with midoriya at the end of this season yeah okay i guess i could see that <laughs> without spoiling it for anyone who hasn't watched the first uh the first the incredibles movie but i think you know all of these even though it sounds very similar again to this these other superhero forms or other forms of superhero media it's all adapted pretty well in the anime realm of superheroes. And maybe everyone will roll their eyes at me for this one, but we have Bakugo character development. In fact, mm-hmm. I would call it complete character development. He has come full circle and he has done what I have said he was going to do uh, basically since I started watching My Hero. I've been rooting for this moment. We get it in the season and I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, so he is in a... Uh, dick after all i guess <laughs> he's a dick on the outside but he's nice on the inside <laughs> i know we've probably mentioned in the past how a lot of my heroes ops and eds are homogenous but you know we'll give them a little bit of limelight here as we talk about the op and ed because i think there is a little bit more significance this time around so starting with the op we have the song bokra no translated to our as in O-U-R, like uh, like the plural possessive. Uh, so Bokura no by Eve. Um, it has, I don't know if you caught this, but it has very similar cadences and music effects as Eve's other song in anime Kai Kai Kitan from Jujutsu Kaisen with like the guitar sort of being distorted and like this chorus of vocals that that show up in the chorus uh oh it just gave me a same vibe but this one's interesting because it's one of my heroes more somber openings rather than it being like this glitz and glam rock and roll type of opening yeah i'm sitting here thinking it's a my hero opening everything about it is a my hero opening i mean i like eve and i did get some vibes like kai kai kitan vibes but kai kai kitan is like way more hype way more exciting um, I like that song much better than this one, 
But yeah, I I don't know. Like I, I say this every single time we tackle the OP and ED for any My Hero season. It's a My Hero opening. It's a My Hero ending. Um, there's only a few that really stand out to me. I've talked about the the stretching one. <laughs> I think that's from season two or something when they had the tournament arc. Um, the I keep my ideals thing where uh, where All Might is screaming is like they say I keep my ideals. Like that was a really hype moment. Um, and then the ED with all of the not only one A students but like a lot of the. UA students in general, mm-hmm. um, like in their bedrooms. Then you have that one shot of Muriel like screaming and crying in the middle of the night. Those things stand out to me. Like that's really cool. Um, these these are these are okay. Like I, I, the OP has some really great moments of animation that like look really clean, look really nice. But other than that, I just keep thinking it's like Midoriya's midlife crisis. I guess that's probably the most significant thing out of this OP is that. Again, it's moodier. It shows sad boy Midoriya as you know some of the the heroes. I think or some of the classmates reach out to him by the end of the opening as he's trying to reach out to a a young Shigaraki. But I think it's again. I feel like the OP musical eyes sticks out from other other My Hero OPs with the lyrics and kind of the symbolism of the song title being called Our. It's it's kind of synonymous with this shift in focus for Midoriya as he realizes towards the end of this core and the end of the season that he does not have to go it alone or bear all the burden in his fight against All for One, especially with a particular lyric that says, even if I am budding into your business, I still want to be next to you which almost sounds like a paraphrased version of what Ida repeats to Midoriya um, as, you know, they're trying to get him to come back to back to UA and not go it alone. Uh, so I think in that sense, this, this song has a very powerful meaning with what's going on in season six. And then we have the ED, which is Kita Kaze or no- North Wind, by the band Six Lounge. Uh, I would say this one, it just feels like a typical My Hero ED. Uh, We have Midoriya Running Cycles, which I think that's almost a callback to season one's first ED. I was going to say, how many My Hero EDs is this now where we have Midoriya running? Like, it's like images, like, behind a shot of Midoriya just like running or walking. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I did a quick run through of all the My Hero endings before our recording. And I think there are two other EDs where there's Midoriya running cycles. But I think this one just feels more like it's an homage to the season one ending, particularly because a lot of the imagery is like flashbacks to all the past seasons. So kind of like a reflection of where Midoriya started versus where he is now in his journey to become the greatest hero. Lyrics-wise, again, it's pretty similar in theme with the OP and you know working together to fight the darkness that's ahead of these characters. But I think otherwise, it's typical my hero music mumble jumbo, but with just a little bit more meaning this time around. Yeah, it's it's a my hero ED. Neither of these stand out to me, so I don't really have much to to comment on. They're they're not the worst thing ever. We've had 
We've had worse EDs. I'm thinking of, uh, what was that one ED, the Car- Carousel one? No, that was an OP. Oh, whatever. With it's man season with, five? Yeah, Man with a Mission. Yeah, yeah I didn't like that we one. Don't, we don't talk about that one. <laughs> so it's not the worst thing ever, but um, I don't know. It's just like it's it's mid. Like n- not mid in the bad way, like middle of the road. Like it's just a standard My Hero ED. So that's that's all I have to say about it. I guess for me, they're the more moody My Hero openings and endings. And so that's what I'll remember about them. And yeah, so in, in some in some respects, they're just they're mid, but to me they still have that trait of being somber and melancholy that will make them stick out. But alright, strictly fam, you all might want to listen very closely now because we're about to Delaware smash our way into our synopsis and discussion for My Hero Academia Season 6 Part 2, the 2023 anime adaptation of a Japanese superhero manga series written and illustrated by Kohei Horikoshi. Produced by Bones and directed by Kenji Nagasaki, the second core deals with the fallout of Japan's pro-hero society in the aftermath of the Paranormal Liberation War as Midoriya decides to leave UA in order to join the small resistance against Shigaraki and All 4-1. In episode 14... Hellish Hell, in a partially My Recap Academia episode of the Villainfinity War, we learn that Twice sent a Redestro double to deal a major blow to the Hero Public Safety Commission prior to the start of the conflict, which makes sense because safety is nowhere to be found in the rubble and carnage left behind by the battle, especially with Supreme Leader Shigaraki and key members and Nomus on the PLF out on the lam. The situation turns so dire that heroes contemplate turning in their pink slips while public support towards heroes exponentially declines with the airing of Endeavor's family K-drama. On the flip side, this is perfect timing for All for One to commence his elaborate prison break. Mix all of these unfortunate events together, and what do you get? My Hero Mass Hysteria. I swear, My Hero Academia is single-handedly keeping the Shonen recap syndrome like alive and well. <laughs> where mm-hmm. they do this like where either at the beginning of a season or at the halfway point in the season they have a recap episode and I'm just like we don't need it. Like I I just watched everything that you're recapping. Especially it, because the these cores aired consecutively. I think there's a one yeah one week break yeah, in between, we which didn't is need a recap. Yeah, it's not enough of a it's not enough of a um, a break to warrant a recap. I mean, even in this day and age with streaming, you don't need a recap in general. But the second half was kind of like a status update on what's happened in the aftermath of that huge battle. Um, I think most notably, Miss Midnight and other minor heroes have died. And then, oh no, oh so sad. <laughs> Not <laughs> I don't three even remember of the any of their characters. I just wrote other minor heroes. I don't remember any of their names except for Miss Midnight. And this is something I'm going to bring up. I think a couple of times here, but I noticed by the end of the second half of season six, the ratio of he- heroes that have died to villains that have died is kind of alarming. We've had a lot of heroes die over the course of My Hero Academia. The only villain I can think of that actually died was twice. Can you think of any other villains? I mean, maybe there were some, but can you think of any other villains, even minor ones whose names you don't remember, any other fucking villain who's actually died? No, I don't think so. And I think there's reason for that canonically 
because it was such a shock to everybody that Hawks had killed twice. Because a hero, hero's duty is not meant to kill others. It's meant to, to save others and to apprehend whoever's, bit, whoever's committing wrongdoing. Uh, so in that sense, I can see why there are more casualties on the hero side because villains can do whatever the fuck they want. Um, but no, I, I can still agree that the number is very lopsided. I didn't think about it that way. That is a good point, that it wouldn't make sense for a bunch of heroes to go off and kill villains. But that also makes me wonder, like, from a realistic point of view, some of them probably should die. Some of the villains probably should die so that all this shit doesn't keep happening. Why mm -hmm. is All for One still alive? Like, it's not worth it. Just kill him already, please. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, I, I see how that would go against the hero ideal if if a hero were to be found murdering people, even if it's for like the greater good, but it's kind of like, do the means justify the ends? I wonder too, like, is this why the heroes just can't get a leg up on the villains? Like, yeah, they're, you know, they, they can kind of keep them at bay, but they're never ever going to like overcome them if they can't accept that maybe some of them need to die. <laughs> it sounds really, really messed up. I'm not trying to say like go off and like kill all the villains, but in the middle of a battle when your life is at stake and you're thinking, how do I subdue this individual? Instead of just saying, I need to kill this person so that I can save other people or I need to kill this person so I can save myself. There needs to be, I don't know, like some... There's, there's the self-defense rule. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Like, I, I, I probably sound like horrible saying this, but it's just, it's just weird to me because... Really, thinking realistically, like if this were the real world, I'm sure a lot of the villains would die in like some of these major explosions or if a if a hero is like shooting their weaponry out into like, you know, whatever battlefield they're in. Like I just it seems weird that there are just no casualties ever. You know what you just made me think of? Uh Batman begins. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna kind of spoil the ending of it, but Batman says the line, I won't kill you, but that doesn't mean I have to save you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so there is that caveat. I think the, the one villain that probably deserves to die in this entire series is All for One. And so I think if if he were to be the one that meets his demise, uh, that would have a profound effect on all the villains, of course. And, you know, maybe that will kind of shock their systems into like realizing that they were manipulated by this guy and then realize the error of their ways. Although that's, that's kind of thinking too positively. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> sometimes, yeah. When left with a decision between saving or killing, it's sometimes it might be easier to kill as, as Gran Torino says in a later episode too. Well, yeah. Again, like, it's not like I'm, I'm saying that the heroes, I'm like trying to like not retract what I'm saying, but maybe clarify. I'm not saying the heroes should have this pass to go off and kill any villain, but again, in the middle of a battle, like let's think about Hawks killing twice in the middle of this battle. It was like a life or death situation. Like if Hawks tried to kill Dobby instead, that was literally a life or death situation. I would have been like, okay, that kind of makes sense that he would need to go that far, go to those lengths. But you're telling me that twice is the only time in all of these seasons that a hero felt it, a life or death situation to the point where they had to make the call to kill a villain. 
Mm-hmm. That is, I think that's where my disbelief is is struggling. But it, anyway, <laughs> I wanted to bring that up because I kept thinking about that throughout this latter half of the season because we're talking about like all of the people who have died and they show like night eye and stuff. I'm like, damn, like people have been dying for quite some time on the hero side, but rarely on the villain side. The only thing that I wanted to bring up is from this episode specifically is the imagery of the All Might statue. I think this statue was placed in Camino Ward, which is where All Might had his very epic final battle with All for One. Uh, but there's this sign that's been placed on his statue that says, I am not here. And I just love how this kind of symbolizes the public sentiment about heroes at this point. And this image is going to come up later in, in the second core. But... I think if you were to just kind of summarize like what's going on with heroes at this point in the story, you could just look at this image and see exactly like see exactly what's happening. In episode 15, Tartarus, Operation Tartarus Sauce begins with All for One using puppet Shigaraki to lead his near high-end nomus in breaking his faceless fanny out of the maximum security prison though Shigaraki would prefer that his mentor take his puppet hand out of his ass. Operation Tartarus Sauce spreads to other prisons across the country, while key heroes and UA students forsake stopping the prison palooza in order to continue recovering from the Villainfinity War, the most severely injured of which is Midoriya, who fell into a deep coma in the battle's aftermath. Although cutting yourself off from this dark and cursed reality is probably the most ideal situation at the moment. The first half of this episode was really fast-paced, and it makes me wonder if we didn't have a recap in the previous episode, could they have spread out the pacing a little bit more to make it not seem like, holy shit, all this crazy shit is happening? I mean, it makes sense because All for One is getting busted out of jail, all of the villains and, and criminals are getting let loose, and we learn that All for One is able to do all this by taking over Shigaraki's body. So this is going to be, I think, a, a major plot point for the rest of the show is that Midoriya is not really going to be fighting Shigaraki anymore. He's mm-hmm. going to be fighting All for One inside of Shigaraki's body, which is why he thinks, is there an opportunity for me to save Shigaraki? Yeah, and I think we mentioned this in our first core review for season six sort of the parallels between this mentor-mentee relationship between All for One and Shigaraki and Midoriya, or All Might and Midoriya, where it's it's clear with All for One that he's just using Shigaraki as a means to his own ends, whereas you know All Might is still trying to do the best he can in mentoring Midoriya, even, even though he enters his sad boy era and kind of dismisses a lot of what All Might's trying to trying to impart onto him because Midoriya just wants wants to take care of everything himself. Um, so, yeah, obviously All for One is the biggest dick right now in just wanting to take over Shigaraki's body instead of just letting the, the the damn guy live he's a he's a true villain like through and through because he never cared about shigaraki he spent all of that time and effort like raising shigaraki brainwashing him um turning him into what he is today not because he wanted to help him because you know shigaraki was very alone and all that stuff with everything that happened with his family but because all for one wanted to use him 
Mm -hmm. It just shows how purely evil All for One really is. And the second half of this episode is kind of like another status update. It's all of the like main characters in the hospital, like how they're doing and whatnot. So we've got Bakugo, who doesn't remember or know what happened. You've got Endeavor, who's being operated on. You've got Todoroki, who's, uh, I think, burnt his throat. So he can't really talk, but he's thinking to himself, like, how do I stop Dobby if Endeavor can't do it? And then his like siblings show up. And then the final update is Midoriya who won't wake up. And of course, Bakugo is worried and says that if he dies, he'll kill him. And I'm like, classic Bakugo line. I also just wanted to comment that it only takes six hours for the Tartarus prison break to happen. So it's just how rapidly things are going on in this core. Um, and you know, just right after that, Japan becomes a lawless wasteland. But of course, with everyone recovering in the hospital, they can't do <laughs> they can't do much about it. So, like Japan's left to fend for itself for a while. In episode sixteen, the hellish Todoroki family part two feels like this episode title is misleading as we are treated to the backstory of Hawks instead as a poor boy nobody loves him. While in the present day. The injured hawkish hero takes a joyride with Best Genist to scope out the sorry situation of superhero society, vowing to assist Endeavor as best as they can in the uncertain future ahead of them. Speaking of the hot-headed hero, the episode title is put to work as we find Endeavor crying over spilled Dobby until his family members, including his estranged wife, enter his hospital room to host an infernal intervention. So I, I think there's something that sticks out like a sore thumb in My Hero, and it may be a result of the early decisions of the show. And what I'm saying is, with the serious tone of season six, some of these cartoonish-looking heroes tend to break the immersion for me. Like the fucking washing machine hero that pops up in this episode. Mm -hmm. Like that shit was funny in the beginning of My Hero because it had a lighter feel to it. Um, it was kind of establishing like there are crazy, goofy looking heroes out there or whatever. But now seeing characters like Cementos, it just doesn't always fit. I'm like, Ugh. it's just like, I, I get they're approaching them in a very serious way. Like they have Cementos like actually fighting in the first half of the season. And, you know, there's nothing comedic about what he's doing or saying but the way he looks is still comedic so it just mm -hmm. doesn't always fit it like bothers me sometimes i feel like they're trying to cover that up by using these moody lighting and like more grayed out colors for all the characters because yeah this is supposed to be the darker part of my hero but yeah you have moments like that that just kind of break you out of it yeah i'm sorry there's no there's no possible scenario or animation style that would make the washing machine hero look like a serious character. <laughs> so again, it's probably just a result of um, Horikoshi, right? Is that the creator? Mm -hmm. um, Horikoshi's like early decisions. He's like, well, fuck, I, I made the decision in the beginning to have these goofy looking characters. I got to stick to my guns now. Um, that's just my assumption. But anyway, it's sometimes when I see him, I'm like, oh my God, who the fuck is that? Why are they on screen? But as far as the episode goes, the majority of it is revealing Hawks' backstory that his father was a murderer and they were on the, on the run and he wanted to become a hero like Endeavor, which he already had hints about. But later in the season, he does apologize to the press about his father. I'm like, why? You didn't do anything wrong. You were a kid at the time. You were, you know, under his guardianship and you didn't know any better. Like, why apologize? Maybe because he felt like he could have reported his father earlier than anticipated 
but I, I guess you know it, it's traumatic for a child to have to make that decision. Yeah, especially when that's the only reality he knew growing up. Mm-hmm. I think it's also just interesting that Hawks, you know, despite him becoming a hero, had this very, very sad upbringing, um, and in in this sort of situation, he could have easily turned into a villain, much like Shigaraki, but. I guess it was something that he saw with an endeavor rescuing him from the situation that kind of gave him a new path towards also helping others benefit from the greater good. I know you mentioned that it's weird that this is about the title of the episode is about the Todorokis, but we get a lot of ba- uh, Hawk's backstory. I kind of like that they're juxtaposed in the same episode because it shows that even if you have all the makings of a good upbringing, right? Like Endeavor was a pro hero. The number mm-hmm. two, they had a lot of wealth. Clearly, they had a, a big family. Um, you know, both the parents were still around, but like that didn't matter. Both mm. Hawks's outcome and Todoroki Shoto Todoroki's outcome were not good because of the actual decisions and behaviors of the people in those families. You're right. I didn't even think of that, like that contrast. Which, okay, that that makes that makes this episode being titled "The Hellish Todoroki Family" feel even more impactful. And I still root for Endeavor. I've shared this before. I love his ongoing redemption arc. It's been long and tough and isn't anywhere near over. And we get to see him, you know, have some wins, but he also takes a lot of L's. And the Dobby situation is definitely a major L. And in this episode, he breaks down crying because he realizes that all decisions and behaviors from his past have caught up to him. And that these are the consequences of his actions, of his choices. So now he's... I don't know, like kind of broken trying to figure out how to fix all of it. Yeah, I mean, it also just extends beyond his family drama because now like the public have lost their their support for the heroes is wavering. And because of that, a lot of these heroes are giving it up or announcing their their retirement, their resignation. So it's almost like tenfold because of it's like a what do you call it? like a domino effect that's kind of started with Endeavor and how Dobby unfurled all their dirty laundry. One thing I caught about this interaction with Endeavor and his family is that his family they don't immediately forgive him. They don't even show sympathy when they enter the the hospital room. They're very hesitant around him as they should be. Um you do get that great moment when Todoroki Whenever I say Todoroki, I mean like Shoto Todoroki. Mm-hmm. Um, when Todoroki opens the door and sees Endeavor crying, then he's got that face on him like, oh, God. And he closes the door and then you get Endeavor screaming Shoto. Like that was a really good comedic relief. Yeah. But, you know, even um, the moments immediately after that, like there is nothing relieving about that. Like you can tell how tense the family is that they're not even sure if they want to be in that hospital room supporting him, but they know that it's the right thing to ultimately, you know, do whatever they got to do when it comes to Dobby. And speaking of which, in episode 17, the wrong way to put out a fire, it should be a surprise to no one that in this flashback episode, we see how much of a dick Endeavor used to be as he uses his wife Ray as a means to his ruthless ends of producing a high-end hero with the birth of the villain formerly known as Toya. Finding no satisfaction with his firstborn's quirks, 
Endeavor quickly spreads his fiery seed until Shoto shows up and shoves Toya out of the picture, and absolutely no one wanted to acknowledge the fiery red flags that led to Toya's villain origin story. Back in the present, the Todoroki family acknowledges that I fucked up, homie you fucked up, but if God got us then we gon' be alright, and vow to assist the flame hero in taking down their fallen family member. Hawks and Best Genus then interrupt the infernal intervention to ask about what the fuck a one-for-all is, while All Might keeps watch over in Midoriya's hospital room, somewhat aware that his comatose student is in the midst of a superhero seance. I love Endeavor. Like, his character's not original in anime. We've seen plenty of, like, power-hungry fathers who put all this pressure on their children to fulfill their dreams. But Endeavor's unique in that he regrets all of his behaviors and is trying to fix everything that he broke. And this episode is fantastic because it finally gives us full context around the downfall of the Todoroki family. And that only makes me root even harder for Endeavor because he's obviously broken by what he's done and, uh, you know, really wants to make things right. Like he was obsessed with making Dobby a number one hero. When he found out that wasn't possible, he then turned his attention to Shoto Todoroki instead um, and that spiral out of control. And now we have full context as to why Shoto Todoroki's mom resented him and why she dumped that hot water on his face. Yeah, I mean, we, we all kind of knew about, how much, I feel like I'm going to use this word a lot, but how much of a dick Endeavor was. But a lot of the stuff we see him do in this episode in the flashback is it's just really dark. It's yeah, it's a lot to take in, and mm-hmm. but it makes sense. Like this now isn't we a kid show. <laughs> yeah, now we understand why Todoroki hated him so much at the start of the show, and why the family is having such a hard time forgiving him. I mean, they're not going to forgive him right away, but Endeavor has been working toward earning that forgiveness, and even then, like they have some of them have a hard time, you know starting to warm up to that idea which i like that that sort of realism in trying to pursue the path of forgiveness for someone that's done such a such significant wrongdoing Uh, but that just makes endeavors kind of redemption arc so fascinating in this anime and i want to say it's probably one of the most fascinating redemption arcs in all of anime that I've seen so far. Um, And it's just great that, you know, as you said, the Todoroki family, it's going to take them a while to fully forgive or even forgive at all the things that Endeavor has done. But the fact that they're willing to still be by his side and recognizing that he's going through these efforts to make amends, um, that's also just a very powerful statement on their end. It's interesting that the Todorokis are coming together to, as they put it, at least in the subtitles, fight Dobby instead of save him. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. I'm like, okay, so they're all coming to fight him, but do they have any intention of saving their brother? Yeah, I wonder if that's going to be like a sort of parallel with the Todorokis and how they deal with Dobby, um, comparing that to how Midoriya deals with Shigaraki. Like what it means for them to fight these villains, quote-unquote fight these villains, or and or what fight necessarily entails. There's one cool detail that I, I liked when we were getting Dobby's backstory about like how he's got a stronger flame than Endeavor, but his body leans towards the ice side of things, so he can't handle the, the heat from his flames. As 
we see time progress um his hair dobby's hair goes from like almost all red to almost all white and i think the other brother too i don't remember his fucking name but um todoroki's like older brother the second brother yeah his hair also starts off mostly white with some like red peppered in and then as time goes on it becomes more and more white until now where it's fully white so it's kind of cool to think that like quirks can evolve over generations of time but also evolve over the lifetime of one person's life (laughs) you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. even within your lifespan your your quirk can change as you grow older I also just saw it as like symbolic resentment of Endeavor. By, oh yeah, that's true too. <laughs> by, yeah, wanting to align more with their mother's genes. Or maybe it was gray hairs from all the stress that Endeavor put him under. <laughs> yeah, that too. And then the last crazy part of this episode, you're telling me no one knew what One for All was? Why did I not put that together? I just feel like All Might and Midoriya have so, have openly talked about it so much between each other that like I didn't realize, wait, they don't talk about it in front of other people except for yeah. Bakugo. <laughs> right, because it's only yeah, Bakugo and someone else knows too. I forget. Like there's very select few people that know about One for All up until this moment. But then what do they put for All Might's like quirk name? Because they put Endeavors as like Hellish Fire or whatever. Like every hero has a title for their quirk like Bakugos is explosion or whatever. So like, what did they call All Might? It's just like super strength? Um, I'm looking at th- those eye catches you're talking about, right? Yeah, and um, I think like that's also public knowledge for the people. Like, I don't know. It just feels, something feels off about nobody knowing that one for all was All Might's quirk. No, it, it says here that All Might's quirk is one for all. <laughs> so yeah, I'm kind of confused. Maybe they're, they're it's like they know that All Might had one for all, but now that they've... Oh, no, that wouldn't make sense. Because then they'd immediately go to All Might and be like, why are they talking about your quirk? Yeah, maybe that's why. Because Midoriya... Like, they find out that Midoriya is somehow connected with one for all, even though it's originally All Might's quirk. And so that's what's piquing their curiosity is like, what what is that what exactly is happening with one for all because in the beginning of my hero midoriya was like that nerdy kid who would take notes on different heroes because he wanted to be a hero so there's at least some level of public knowledge about a hero's quirk which makes sense like you want to understand like what are they capable of so that's why i'm thinking like nobody knew that all might's quirk was one for all or that it was even called that like what did they think it was and then you also have to think of the previous wielders of One for All. Although they had individual quirks. Yeah, they had quirks. So they could just use the name of their actual quirk, their mm-hmm. their innate quirk versus One for All. Yeah, uh, um, my hero expert is going to have to explain that one to <laughs> us. Yeah, Horikoshi, where are you at? In episode 18, Izuku Midoriya and Tomura Shigaraki We follow Midoriya in his comatose dream state as he meets with the One for All Council, who do not yet grant him the rank of master. Through some very convoluted exposition, it is revealed that Midoriya is most likely the last wielder of One for All because of just how O-fucking-P the quirk has become, and so they have a pop quiz with the shrewd little shonen about if he is prepared to kill Shigaraki to keep One for All out of All for One's hands. Midoriya responds with, Make love, not war as he resolves to try and save the sun-dried scoundrel's soul first before sending him to ceaseless sleep, which earns him an A-plus from the council. 
Back in the real world, All Might regretfully reveals the secret of one for all to Hawks and Best Genist, leading to a series of events wherein the top three pro heroes publicly announce their plans for My Hero and Dolgamia, while Midoriya pens a note to his classmates about dropping out of UA to save their skins and prepare for his Shigaraki showdown. Ooh, what an info dump. Um, so I think the takeaways from this whole one-for-all council meeting was that basically All Might and Midoriya are perfect vessels for one-for-all because they're quirkless, allowing that quirk to fully adapt with them or fully integrate with them versus like previous wielders who had quirks, meaning one-for-all couldn't fully integrate. Instead, it was like kind of clashing with the existing quirk, causing some of them to die prematurely or causing their bodies harm because like the when the two quirks are clashing that's like too much stress on their body is that like is that a fair summary of what all of that shit was i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i yeah, think this, that's what they were getting at no yeah there was they just made one for all a bit too sciencey in this episode but yeah i think they they use the example of one of one for all's wielders dying at age 40 because, wait, yeah, Hinamori died of old age at 40. Yeah. Because one for all cannot be used by a normal human. But then I wrote Shinomori. Is this the same person? Shinomori held it for 18 years before cracks appeared in his body. I think that's the same person. And then okay. the other key takeaways, as you mentioned, Midoriya could possibly be the final wielder because now the full potential of one for all has started to manifest meaning it may not be able to be passed on anymore. How that works, I don't know. I don't need any more information. <laughs> there was a lot of information to process, but I think those are the two things that the little council or whatever was trying to get across to him. Yeah, so it should be like one for no one anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we get another weird situation, like the one in the previous episode, where I'm like, what the fuck? You're telling me Hawks has never met All Might before? Uh yeah that's weird because he said like something like nice to meet you we got to skip the formalities or whatever and i'm like what hawks has never hawks is the number two hero he's never met all might maybe all might's just untouchable in that sense. i mean like he would have been the number three hero during all might's reign right unless there was yeah somebody else? no yeah i think yeah, it would, he would have been number three. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> that oh, was yeah. crazy to me. I'm like, I would never have guessed that, but apparently that's the case. So there you go. I particularly liked the scene where uh, Nana Shimura, who is, remind me, Shigaraki's grandmother, approaches Midoriya to ask if he, he would be willing to kill Shigaraki if it had to come to that and Midoriya responds along the lines of seeing how he thought that Shigaraki looked like he was in trouble and would rather save him first before having to resort to uh, that violent option and I think that brings Shimura to tears and she says we were blessed in our students which I know I've already made a Star Wars reference in the synopsis, but reminds me of a line that Yoda says in The Last Jedi, uh, we are what they grow beyond. Because I think Midoriya represents at this moment a a, a, a growth or a, a better understanding of what it means to be a hero that has surpassed what Nanashimura has done. 
And I know like she had to kind of separate herself from her family in order to to perform her duties as a hero, but that had come at a cost to her, where I think, you know, Midoriya in the later half of this core also deals with a similar situation of cutting off ties with his loved ones, but realizing the consequences of that rather than having them try like help him in his quest to prolong the greater good. And then the episode ends with Midoriya beginning to spiral. What's mm-hmm. that Karapika line from Hunter Hunter? Drowning in an indescribable emptiness. There you go. That's literally <laughs> what is happening with Midoriya by this point. I was also surprised because after Midoriya announces that he's leaving UA at the end of this episode before the credits roll, I think it, there's a black screen with a title that reads, The Final Act Begins. And that's what caught me off guard because I thought <laughs> my hero's going to last like 10 more seasons because they had to get through all four years or whatever of UA Academy. <laughs> yeah, and apparently they've barely finished their first year because I think right. someone said like classes are on pause and then and class 1A can't progress to the next level, basically being becoming 2A. Uh, mm-hmm. because of that and i'm like well that's weird i guess it's, you've made it through a year that's good <laughs> yeah but that just kind of hit me in the face when i said the final act begins like whoa this story is they are wrapping this up in episode 19 full power japan has turned into a lawless wasteland as a majority of its citizens are evacuated to ua per the plan set forth in my hero endogamia when a rescue mission for some stragglers turns into a lopsided MMA fight against an ex-convict who's gone one too many times to the gym, a uniquely costumed Midoriya comes to the rescue and bumps his record up to 2-0 against the muscular madman, though he makes an attempt to pull a Tanjiro and empathize with his adversary. We learn that days earlier, Midoriya woke up from his coma and, with All Might, bared the truth of one for all to his mother, declaring his intent to become a hero school dropout so that he can save the world. A viable excuse, if you ask me. After one last visit to a recovering Gran Torino to borrow his cute little cape for his new hero cosplay, we witness the shrewd young shonen enter his sad boy superhero era as Miseridoria. I kind of didn't like this episode. Um, And I just, one of my initial thoughts of it is like, please... Please, please, please stop introducing new characters. If we're in the final act, we don't need new characters. We have been so oversaturated with characters for a while now. We just, we don't need more. Because in this episode, they introduce four new heroes that I honestly just don't care about. Like, they even took the time to give them names, give them, like, quirk titles, and proper introductions by present Mike, where they have, like, the card or whatever on screen for a second. And then none of the four of them did anything. None of them did anything. I don't even think most of them used their quirks. I don't even remember what their quirks were. So, like, it's fine if you if there are other heroes out there, but you don't need to, like, give me a full-on explanation and introduce them to me as if they're going to play a big role. Because how many other minor heroes, especially the ones who have died, like, have also had this proper introduction? And then I, like, completely forget about them because they're never utilized. So I actually think that Yo, Shindo, the guy that looked like Megdoria that was fighting muscular, has appeared in previous seasons of the anime 
Well, there you go. I don't even remember <laughs> because he is so minor. Yeah, and you know, maybe that just fits in thematically with what's happening with Hero Society is that there are so many heroes right now that it's become convoluted on what it means to be a hero. And so you have these sort of expendables, like this guy's definitely expendable at the hands of muscular. Uh, but, you know, I, <laughs> as much as that maybe thematically makes sense, I think it's just, it feels like a running joke now that my hero just has too many characters for it to deal with. Yeah, I just, it's, it gets overwhelming. Like, I, I just want to focus on Class 1A. And even then, there are some members of Class 1A I just don't care about. Um, I don't want to keep having new characters shoved in my face. Um, I could see if they're going to play a significant role. But I think back to, oh God, was it season four? Who had, the, like, the British guy and the little lolly chick? Or what season was that? Gentle, yeah, it was Gentle Criminal. That was season four, yeah. So, like, wh where the fuck did they go? They left that whole arc that mini arc on like a nice note where it seemed like gentle criminal was going to play a big part in like what's to come in my hero we're in the final act i'm like they haven't even mentioned the guy maybe they're keeping him a, a secret until he shows up and somewhat saves the day it was <laughs> yeah gentle criminal and la brava but yeah they've been mia uh, so who knows but that instead we get grand and whatever the other girl was <laughs> I, I don't turtleneck know. was her her name but yeah who fucking cares and then when midoriya shows up to fight the muscle guy i just i found this so funny he says something like this brings back memories of that day like meaning the the day midoriya and, and muscular first fought and it, he's saying it though like he's some dude in his midlife as if he fought muscular like decades ago and i'm like dude you fought him like maybe six months ago <laughs> yeah <Was laughs> why that... are you acting like this was years ago <laughs> was that like the, the camping or forest arc or whatever yeah which was a great arc like all i think that was season i think that was season two maybe season three that was back when when my hero was uh hype as fuck i think his cameo made sense because we knew back then how much midoriya struggled in using one for all to take down muscular and in this episode, he does it with, without really any effort. Like just showing how much Midoriya has grown, I guess, in the six months since he's last seen Muscular. Yeah, that was great. Like having that come full circle in a sort of way was really nice. Um, at least it that that had more meaning than the four new heroes they introduced at the beginning of the episode. And then at the end, it was really nice to see Midoriya's mom again. She's still mm -hmm. crying, just like her son. Yeah, I love that imagery where it's the young Midoriya embracing his mom and then that shifting into the older Midoriya embracing... <laughs> embracing his mom as well. <laughs> yeah, let me rephrase that. Where it's his mom embracing the younger Midoriya and then that gets flipped on its head because now it's Midoriya in his older form embracing his mother. Uh, just very sweet imagery of how, <laughs> how the turns have tabled and now it's Midoriya who knows that he has a mission to take care of those that he loves. In episode 20, Hired Gun, Misery Doria roams the streets of Gotha, I mean generic Japanese city, and ends up saving Bugs Bunny's Japanese cousin, as the One for All Council convinces two more of its risk-averse representatives to support the shrewd shonen's cause, and the pro-hero posse predict All for One's plan to become Shigaraki's perilous puppeteer. Misery Doria is then suddenly attacked by a super sniper revealed to be ex-pro hero Lady Nagant. 
hired by Alflin to bring him around town with the assistance of his stolen airwalk quirk. Let's just hope she doesn't have the no-scope perk as well. In the beginning of this episode, Hawks was saying that all for one doesn't have hatred, and that's that's kind of why he needs Shigaraki. Like he says he needs a strong body because his body's wrecked, but he also needs hatred in order to get one for all. They didn't really expand on this, though, right? Of all the info dumps we got, this is the one we didn't get, right? Yeah, I think it's just because they consider all for one to just be a shell of a human uh, that his quest for power doesn't allow him to like have any other emotion is how i understood it but it's just i mean it kind of makes sense because all for one's just smiling all the time so it's not like he really has hatred it's just that i thought it was because he's psychotic yeah i think it's more so that rather than him really having any hatred towards anybody but but why would he need hatred in order to fully obtain one for all yeah. I think that's the question that's mm-hmm. gone, that's still unanswered at this point. Okay, yeah. I, they didn't really expand upon that. As far as Lady, how do you say it? Nagant? Lady Nagant, yes. Um, so she's a former hero who killed her hero allies and then ended up in jail and wanted to see the downfall of hero society. I'm like, that's interesting because she's not just some like, crazy weirdo villain or whatever like all the other people that we've gotten she actually was part of the heroes she was part of that organization and felt disappointed by the way everything was handled to the point where she was like this is all a like a sham and and turned against the heroes in the end i thought this was like going to be miss midnight reincarnated (laughs) um just because she had grown cynical of heroes, but no, I think this it, this confirms that this is a totally different person, um, but it is still one that's grown cynical of hero society. In episode 21, The Lovely Lady Nagant, Lady Nagant takes Misery Doria for a literal bullet train ride across the city and forces him to choose between apprehending her or saving his former adversary, Overhaul, while she monologues about how heroes are bad, yada, 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 we already heard this sad story before. Too bad she didn't count on Misery Doria being faster than a speeding bullet, because that's what a fucking superhero can do. And after seeing the Joestar resolve in his and the pro-hero posse's eyes, decides to disclose one of All for One's key locations, a revelation that, if I may say, is quite explosive. So we get more of Lady Nagant's backstory And it shows that when she was a hero, there used to be corruption inside the hero organization. They would make her kill enemies um, or kill villains. So that's what I was getting at earlier. I'm like, why can't we just, why can't, why can't we, why can't, given the circumstances, heroes just choose to kill if it's a life or death situation? Clearly Mm -hmm. hers was not. It was more like killing the villains because it was just easier to get rid of them that way. But then also, I think they hinted at killing some heroes who were troublesome or like hard to maintain control over them. Yeah, heroes that were corrupt, even though this is a corrupt practice in itself. Yeah, so like I get her her whole, um, like her cynical nature around heroes because she all she wanted to do is be a hero since she was a kid. She was invited to do so. She was, um, you know, uh, told that it would be this special thing. And then she was forced to basically act like a villain just to keep up the facade of the heroes. So- 
I, I get why she's salty about all of it, but does that corruption still exist? Because that's not the vibes that I get for this current day hero organization. I see it more in this present day as hero society having created this whole bureaucracy with maintaining heroes uh, that it just, again, it, it loses the sight of what it means to become a hero, which is what Stain had been sort of championing in his twisted way since the, since the beginning of the season. I think the, the bureaucracy of hero society, basically. It did make me think of one thing that I think is still lingering out there. Do we know yet who leaked the info about UA security several seasons ago? I think that's still an unfinished thing. Like, there's no answer out there. So, I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe I'm forgetting. It might, yeah, I feel like it <laughs> might have just gone over our heads. Or, yeah, it was already addressed. But maybe that's just another thing that will be addressed um, in the later season. I do have one question about this episode. Do you think Lady Nagant should have died? Um, I mean, yeah, that would have made it more impactful for Midoriya to know that... Like, she is one of the fallen in their journey um, to, again, fight for the greater good. But now it's like, and by the end of this, she's fine. She's just in critical condition at a hospital. Uh, so it's almost like she's just there as a caveat for them to get more information. But then why would you want to stress her out <laughs> by doing that? It just felt, I don't know, with all of the emotion and all of the buildup to, like, her exploding, literally, um... Uh, first of all, how is an explosion, an internal explosion where her face is literally cracking? How does that not kill her? Yeah, and unless it's because she's just superhuman. Yeah, and, and second of all, like with all that emotion between like Midoriya and Hawks and everything, it just, I don't know, it like cheapens the moment when they're like, oh, she's okay. We're going to get medical attention. Like, it's fine. Because it, it just, they set it up to make it seem like she was going to die. Also, why would all for one just leave that as a lingering threat? I think, yeah, he intended for her to die because he, she breached his contract. Yeah. I don't know, but apparently she survived. Another thing that I don't really, I don't know if I have an issue with this, but I think the previous episode established that there were two wielders of one for all that hadn't like yet fully joined the council because they didn't believe in Midoriya's. Uh, his, his mission until I think not, uh, the original one for all wielder I forget it's all for one's brother that convinces them otherwise and then in this episode I think Midoriya learns to use that quirk and he picks it up pretty quickly which it's just funny because season five you had Midoriya spending all this time on perfecting black whip which was one of the quirks from a previous wielder and then now it's the, the parallel sensing or what's it called parallel processing using quirks in parallel which i think is the, the fajin quirk or whatever they called it like how is he's... i thought fajin was the one where he can store up kinetic energy and then oh is that it i think okay. i'm not sure okay i mean regardless it's like they're just rapidly making midoriya know how to use these abil like these quirks and these abilities without him having to properly train for them. Maybe it's just because Midoriya has just gotten better at that. But this was a moment where I felt like, okay, they're just they're just rushing things now, whereas previously it took some time for again, 
Midoriya to adapt to these quirks. I agree. It did feel a little bit rushed because I couldn't even keep up with all of the new quirks he suddenly had. Like, he didn't have all of these in the first half. Like, maybe they showed up briefly, but now he's got all this shit going on. I'm like, what is he doing? There's so many things that he's doing all at the same time or trying to do all at the same time. And then you have uh, Overhaul's cameo, which he was just there. I think almost for like Lady Nagant. I know she she used him to be able to learn more about Midoriya and then just kept him around as insurance to make Midoriya choose between apprehending her or saving Overhaul, which is what led to her fall her her downfall in this episode. Um I'm just surprised he's still around. Well, villains don't die except for <laughs> twice. So there you go. But I guess this is one instance cuz Midoriya mentions at the end like he hears how Overhaul just wants to see his grandfather one more time and apologize to him. And Midoriya will will allow that for him because that's what Lady Nagant promised, but only if he can apologize to what he's done to Aerie as well. So I think this is one instance where Midoriya is starting to empathize with the villains, which is, I think, what he ultimately wants to do with Shigaraki. So this is almost like a stepping stone for him. But is that going to be a genuine apology from from Chis- from Chisaki, from Overhaul, whatever they're calling him? Like, I don't think so. And also, like, is that a good situation to put Ari in when she's already in a very delicate state? Yeah, that's true. That's a lot. Again, to put on a child, much like with Hawks yeah. um, in his backstory. But I don't know. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll whip Overhaul into shape um, if he has to confront someone that he's previously abused. In episode 22, Friend, unfortunately, Lady Nagant's intel leads Misery Doria and the pro-hero posse to an empty safe house with a Star Wars hologram of All for One, who teases the shrewd shonen to fuck around and find out before blowing the place into super smithereens. This spurs Misery Doria to work even harder to find the faceless freak show in his game of heinous hide-and-seek while disregarding All Might's concern for his well-being. So leave it to his super friends in class 1A to snap him back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. Although Miseradoria would prefer that they just leave him alone in his sad boy era. I love the line in the beginning of this episode from All for One where he basically takes All Might next it's your turn and spins it on Midoriya in such a like a wicked way. Mm-hmm. Basically saying next it's your turn. Like I went after All Might. I went after every wielder of One for All. And next, it's your turn. Basically telling him, you can't do anything different than the previous wielders. You are going to follow the same fate, and I'm going to overcome anything that you throw at me. Like, it was just, it was so good. Like, to take that line, which represents so much to Midoriya from when it happened season three, right? Season three? Yes. And then to make it now, like, something he's fearing and um, despises, like, that was, that was really good writing. Yeah, adding that villainous intent behind the line gives it a completely different meaning. And, of course, Midoriya uses this as his motivation, although I think he he directs his energy in a way that's sort of detri- detrimental to himself because like, he's so laser-focused on taking down All for One that he's not considering how others feel again about his well-being or that others are trying to lend a helping hand to him. 
Yeah, case in point is poor All Might. Like, it must be so frustrating to be All Might and not being able to do anything in these situations after a career of being able to do everything. And now he can't even reach Midoriya. Like, he promised to raise him and, you know, help him to become a really great hero. And he fulfilled that. But the consequence of that is that Midoriya doesn't even look back at him anymore, is what he says. Like, he doesn't need All Might anymore. Um, but I think he... It's like twofold. Like he he's grown beyond All Might's teachings, mm-hmm. but at the same time, Midoriya is paying respects to All Might by being distant in order to protect him because of like Night Eyes prediction and knowing that All Might is very vulnerable because he doesn't have any of his powers anymore. But yeah, I don't think Midoriya realizes that by him doing this, it's almost like the cycle is repeating itself with you know these wielders of one for all placing all the burden on themselves and in a way that doesn't make them formidable enough to to fight all for one. And I think it's just all it's also just very cutely symbolized in the pork cutlet lunches that All Might tries to give Midoriya. Um before we go any further, I'm gonna backtrack a tiny bit. Hawks in the earlier part of this episode is talking about like Lady Nagant and what she's up to. And he says this line that I think is like, according to the doctor, it's strange that she's still alive. And I'm sitting here like, gee, I'm wondering the same thing. How is she still alive after what we just witnessed? Anyway, I just, I thought, found that so ironic that they even said it's strange she's still alive. She probably should have died. <laughs> yeah, you think? Um, the thing, <laughs> here's my Dark Knight reference. This is, I, I know we've called it the sad boy era for Midoriya, but clearly halfway through this episode is also the Dark Knight era for Midoriya because now the civilians that he's saving are just terrified of him and see him more as like a monster rather than a hero. And <laughs> yeah, it's just, it screams vigilante. It screams Caped Crusader. Even though I, I love Batman to death, um, this isn't uh, this isn't a good look for Midoriya's case. Yeah, as the episodes go by, Midoriya's clothes look more and more tattered and damaged, and he looks a little more feral. Like he's definitely spiraling. Like he's spiraling further and further down until my Furendo shows up. <laughs> my Hell friendo. yeah, Bakugo is here. Let's fucking go. <laughs> and Bakugo. He he knows Midoriya and All Might better than everyone else. Like he he makes that very clear in the flashback, and he knows that both of them are the type to sacrifice themselves and like set their own well-being aside to help others, even if it means killing themselves. So that's why he's really worried about the two of them. Um, but Bakugo is still Bakugo because at the very end of this episode, he's teasing Midoriya sarcastically, saying like, "Oh gee, everyone, everything's all right now that the one for all." you know, Quirk is in the hands of this guy who's spiraling. It's kind of like Bakugo's way of distracting Midoriya from leaving, but also trying to knock some sense into him. And mm-hmm. he even questions, like, are you even able to smile right now? Like, Bakugo may be <laughs> improving as, like, a character who is nicer to Midoriya, but he's still going to be Bakugo at the end of the day. Yeah, it's great that Bakugo just gives it to Midoriya straight. Uh, whereas I think a lot of the other members of 1A, I mean, they, they're pretty adamant in the next episode about how they want Midoriya to just let them help him. Um, but Bakugo's known him the longest. So I think that's what, like him saying it is what would hit closer to home for Midoriya. In episode 23, Deku versus Class A, 
Class 1A takes turns trying to slap some sense into Misery Doria and showing him recaps of all the nice things he's done since Season 1. And yes, the fucking power of friendship prevails once again in anime, as Bakugo has a rare heart-to-heart -heart with his foil-turned kind of friend. For there is no I in team, even if there's an M-E in that motherfucker. However, as the class begins to escort Misery Doria back to a heavily fortified UA campus, it seems that his welcome party won't be so welcoming after all. So I, I have split feelings about this episode. I would say the second half of this episode was really, really good. But the first half, I was kind of exhausted by. So it's like every member of 1A is now going to try to intervene, have a flashback, have some sort of short, splashy speech about how Midoriya has impacted them. And like to me, this is the problem when you have too many characters in a show you exhaust the viewers when they all, when the viewers have to sit through so many of these moments. I was sitting there thinking, no way. They're actually going to give an intervention, a flashback, and some speech for every single 1A member. I don't have mm -hmm. time for this. That's too much to think about. Although I don't think that um, the belly button guy and oh, the yeah, invisible uh -huh. chick, I think they're the only <laughs> two who got shafted. They didn't get to say anything to Midoriya. What about uh, Kirishima? Was he able? Oh, he did. He caught yeah, him at the end, them. and as he's catching them, you know, he squeezed in his little splashy speech. Yeah, it was. It's just like one after the other. They all wanted to bring up a special memory they had with Midoriya. Uh, and I think it was actually Krishma who who just said it straight, where he's like, "Oh, I need to, I need to say my piece with Midoriya." Yeah, as like, he's running back over to them. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like it's a tongue in cheek reference to itself. Like how, how, how kind of stupid the situation is, but I get it. It's the power of friendship. <laughs> they just want to bring their friend back to reality. It's just like too many of them though, to do that with. Like that was mm -hmm. a lot in the first half. The only part that really mattered to me was when Kaminati was telling him so earnestly to take a bath. <laughs> and he's like, let's take a bath together. Like, please just bathe. You stink. Oh, <laughs> uh, and I love that they bring you say run back the, kind of like the iconic theme from my hero um, as class 1a just continues to keep midoriya from leaving them and then they all come together to make that that cool ass ramp and then who is it bakugo's on it todoroki's on it and then ida's on it um as he's using in his ingenium uh persona to stop midoriya uh but i, I guess you know all of that with all of them coming together it is Again, more impactful that it's Bakugo at the end who finally helps Midoriya come to his senses as Midoriya collapses into his arms. Hell fucking yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm going to get on my soapbox as a, a Bakugo fan here. You know, i got to have my, my thesis ready to go. So let's talk about this apology from Bakugo. As I mentioned earlier, this is what I've been rooting for and waiting for the entirety of my hero as like a hardcore Bakugo fan. I knew this is what they were leading up to. I knew eventually... Ba Bakugo would apologize for the way he treated Midoriya their whole lives um, because they've dropped many, many hints about this. Bakugo has like slowly been warming up to Midoriya, especially after their one-on-one -on -one fight when uh, Midoriya told Bakugo the truth about One for All. So here it's all coming to fruition. And I think it's not only the apology that's really important, but the fact that he calls Midoriya by his first name because up until this point there's only been two people that Bakugo calls by their actual names All Might and Uraraka because he respects their strength but now he's 
showing that same sign of respect to Midoriya by calling him Izuku, even though Midoriya in the next episode's like, or the last episode is like, you don't have to keep forcing it. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and I like that the apology wasn't like over the top or like too drawn out. He basically says like that he rejected Midoriya since they were kids because he saw how far ahead Midoriya was than him, even back when he was quirkless. And this, I think, is like really important for Bakugo to recognize because he says like how frustrated he's been since he joined UA. Nothing has gone his way. Nothing has gone the way he expected because Midoriya is a better hero than him. Like he may not have come out and said that, but I think that's what he was hinting as that Midoriya has all this potential um, that Bakugo, despite Bakugo being a very talented hero, just will never be able to match. But is this really going to stop Bakugo from being a Sundere? No, I don't think so. And I kind of hope not. I think it's more him improving and showing that he's a good person, that he means well. He just needed to overcome that Sundere exterior. But I hope he doesn't not be a, a Sundere. Like, I hope he's still a Sundere at the end of the day. No, I think it's it's great that Bakugo is there as sort of Midoriya's, in a way, his right-hand man. Or I guess another way to put it is like Bakugo's the yin to Midoriya's yang. Because yeah, Midoriya might have it all with him being one for all and in that sense being the de facto leader of the heroes against all for one. But I think Bakugo also is there to give Midoriya a different perspective and, you know, he reminds Midoriya, don't try to win by yourself and tells him there's a wall you can't just overcome with your ideals. Again, kind of instilling that thought in Midoriya that he does not have to go this journey alone. He has a whole support system behind him that can help him, like even just with the smaller details, if it be like the, the rescue and evac while Midoriya carries on with actually fighting all for one because that's what they've all been training for in all of these different arcs right rescue and evac and uh making sure one team also apprehends the villain so yeah like i said bakugo tells it to midoriya straight and you definitely need a character to do that for the protagonist and i don't think bakugo ever really truly hated Midoriya he may have just been frustrated by Midoriya's talents because if Bakugo actually hated Midoriya why would he know him so well why would he be mm -hmm. the one to tell Endeavor Midoriya is going to push himself too far right like he's he cares about him and he's been watching him over the years because if he was really actually trying to reject him and keep him out of his life he wouldn't give two shits about him he wouldn't be paying attention to him and he wouldn't understand his inner workings as like as well as he does but i think it shows that bakugo was hesitant to be honest with himself be honest with midoriya that he actually did value his friendship in episode 24 a young woman's declaration a crowd of protesters gathers at the fortified ua gates demanding that misery doria be denied entry since he didn't renew his ua subscription and will deliver a plague unto their houses so Uravity steps in to drop some knowledge on the frenzied folks by saying, just give the guy a fucking break. And that seems to shut them up. Endeavor notes that this sudden camaraderie between hero and citizen alike must be one for all manifest. So let's just hope that nothing will stain this burst of goodwill. So they, they keep saying that Midoriya can come back to UA. But I honestly think that Midoriya is right when he's like, nah, it's too dangerous. <laughs> because... 
they have all those civilians there taking shelter. And if he goes back, I, I could see if maybe he went back to just like students and faculty being there. But now you're risking the lives of the civilians. Um, it's kind of like that island situation in the second movie where they're like, oh, there's no faculty supervision. We're just going to put all of 1A on this island and they can act like the police or whatever. Like that was kind of stupid, even though that movie was really good. <laughs> I just think that this is, I think there's some validity in the civilians' anger here. Well, I think the point that Uraraka was trying to make is that Midoriya just needs temporary rest from his outings <laughs> no i i definitely get that and i get what they're saying like that ua is the safest place to do that and they need to shelter him and like give him a a safe place to be but then you get the explanation of why ua is the safest shelter and i'm like this is so absurd like when they say there's something like three thousand layers of protection underground i'm like they're going to crazy lengths to try and convince us that ua is the stronghold but it's almost like too far for me to suspend my disbelief. Like when mm -hmm. the principal was explaining all this shit, I'm like, okay, sure, I guess. Cause it's a, it's not real. It's anime. But like in my head, I'm like, damn, you're telling me that there's like 3000 layers of steel plates in the ground and that all of these bunkers can move at random, you know, trajectories with these like tunnels that they've built. Like, I'm like, who, who built all this? And when do they have the time and resources to do that? Yeah, I, was, I wrote on my notes, how the hell were they able to build all of this in weeks of knowing? I don't even know if it was weeks or if it was days of them knowing the like evacuation plan. It was just like, it's too much. Like If you need to go that far to try and convince the viewer that, yeah, this place is actually safe, I think maybe just go pivot and go a different direction. Like Maybe have Midoriya stay somewhere else. I don't know. I just think that's going to be that's going to be all for naught um if all for one does attack the facility i know the principal says oh we have this is even better security than tartarus and that's so, a problem that yeah. that is an oversight by somebody there's a head of security out there who needs to be fired if a high school is better protected than the world or japan's biggest and most like prestigious prison yeah <laughs> i don't know another thing that's kind of funny that's like stated in the obvious is when Ochako or Uraraka acknowledges that Midoriya is just a high schooler because you know it, it's kind of like with the code Gias thing that we don't like we're, we're expecting high schoolers to to do all of this crazy stuff I don't I think it was to me it was kind of like stating the obvious in anime that a high schooler is doing all of these things yeah well, that's anime for you. <laughs> but I think the the one thing that I liked about this episode, uh, I think it's after, was the guy uh, the boy's name Koda, the guy that the boy that Midoriya saved from muscular, and then that rabbit that Midoriya saved in an earlier episode. That was a rabbit. I don't know what I thought it was, it was an called. amphibian. Or she called herself like a heteromorph. She's yeah. like a she's, an anamorph. She's some <laughs> kind of animal lady. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but they they come to his aid, um, showing that you know the citizens are throwing their support behind Midoriya because they realize he's he's doing all he can to protect them, and so they can also play their part in making sure that he fights for the greater good. Uh, and then I think it's at this point, I think it's Midoriya narrating, and. Throughout this series, 
he always mentions like this is a story of how I became the greatest hero, but now it changes into the story or this is the story of how everyone became the greatest heroes. Uh, it's it's a subtle change, but if you think about it, it's just a very powerful line as he is now distributing this this title across all of his 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 friends. And I think that's the point of what one for all's ability is, this ability to connect everyone, which is I think what Endeavor or, or Hawk's comments on is share basically sharing the love, sharing the wealth, uh, making everyone a hero in their own sense. And in the final episode for season six, episode 25, No Man is an Island, All Might decides to have his own sad boy hour in the very ward where he lost one for all and finds unlikely comfort in the appearance of hero killer Stain, who is actually more of a real one than you think. Stain passes on some secret intel he retrieved from Tartarus, revealing that All for One's perilous puppet show starring not-so-supreme leader Shigaraki is due to commence earlier than expected. That's okay, though, because All Might's all-American cousin is on the way to join the battle, and Miseridoria still has time to take a clean bath before stepping into the bloodbath of the final war arc. And this time, he's got the power of friends and anime on his side. He did it. All Might became full All Might for a second. And that, that was great. I love it. I miss like full-sized All Might. I don't know what you call him. <laughs> the, the real, real All Might. <laughs> yeah, that's what Stain was saying. You're not the real All Might. <laughs> yeah, I even forgot about Stain and his whole thing. That was like what, season two or three? I think that was the first season. Oh, like, that was season he, one. <laughs> he was the catalyst that made all the villains start acting up. I I, I forgot all about it and had you re explain the whole stain thing to me, but now it makes sense, I guess. I just it's weird. Like it's 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 been referenced many times over the seasons, but not like revisited fully. So mm-hmm. with all the years that have gone by, I'm kinda like, what was that all about again? Yeah, I think if I remember correctly, Stain, again, he was the one who inspired the villains to take up arms against hero society by claiming that like all of the heroes of today are, are shams except for All Might. Uh, but I think the villains, it seems like the villains just twisted his words because in this moment, we realize that in a way, Stain is actually on the side of justice. And he even says that himself, like he is doing this, all the, uh, he delivers the intel to All Might for the sake of a more just world. Um, and as much as he, he's labeled a hero killer, I think it's only because he's getting rid of heroes that don't stick to the lofty ideals that All Might has championed. And uh, it, it makes you think like what he would think of seeing Midoriya or even all of class 1A if he would consider them true heroes. So I think this was an eye-opening moment to find out that Stain actually isn't a bad guy after all. It kind of not a bad guy. He said he killed 40 heroes. I mean, so. <laughs> yeah. He is a murderer, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just can't get over the way this episode, not like the very end, but like as it comes to a close... The way it sort of ends with the introduction, the soft introduction 
of a real American hero. <laughs> Star <laughs> <She> is, <laughs> and stripe. She is on her way, and holy shit, I can't wait. This is what makes me really sad about not being able to get full-sized or like the real All Might, because I would love to see that All Might next to this real American hero <laughs> and just watch the two of them interact because they definitely give off the same vibes. I mean, All Might spent all that time in the U.S., like training and learning as he was becoming a hero, so it's it would be so funny to watch them side by side. It makes you wonder who took inspiration from who yeah. when <laughs> crafting their, their superhero costume. But yeah, it was just seeing that, that red, white, and blue uh, on her costume as she, I think she's standing on top of these like stealth fighter jets. <laughs> how much more American can you get than that? <laughs> I can't wait to see how they fucking portray us in, in this real American hero, Star and Stripe or whatever her name is. There's also the revelation that Shigaraki's vessel for All for One is going to be ready in just three days. Hope. It's just, <laughs> just another example of how fast-paced everything in this core is is made to be. Because I think they were estimating from intel from the Dr. Eggman and the hospital that it would take about two months. But yeah, they're just rapidly getting us to the final days for my hero and it's 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 insane i still don't trust that cop guy that like police officer that all might always talks to yeah something about him seems off i feel like he's the leak if we have not established who the <laughs> leak is yet for the security breach at ua i'm gonna guess that guy yeah that would be a, a bombshell if we find out that he was working for all for one this whole time but we'll see and that brings us to our final thoughts for my hero academia season six so, how many ASAP Shigarakis out of 10 would you give this entire season? So, I know I, I had my gripes about the second half of the season, some of the things that I thought were stupid or that I was exhausted by. But all in all, it was a great second half of the season, and it was a great first half of the season. And it's nice to see that my hero, while it may not be what it once was, is on its way to being good again. And I would give this an 8.5 out of 10. Mm. I loved the first half. I loved the the battle. I mean, to have a full half of the season focused on one battle, the pacing was just so good. The fights were interesting. There were different facets of it that kept it feeling varied throughout um, all of what was going on. And uh, I love the second half, what it gave us in terms of answering a lot of questions that we've had. Sure, it was an info dump, but at least we have some clarity now. And I love the full context we're getting over uh, about the, the Todoroki family um, and, and how they're going to tackle this whole situation with Dobby. And of course, the biggest thing that I've been waiting for, which is Bakugo's own redemption arc of sorts with his official apology to Midoriya. So all in all, I feel like this season, while it may not be the final one, gave us so much closure, gave us so many satisfying moments, um, and gave us so much to look forward to with this final act, whatever that means. The only thing I'm annoyed by, and this is going to be stupid, but this is me being a hardcore, not hardcore, but like a, a shipper of Jiro and Kaminati, is that they dropped that huge romantic hint oh, at the beginning yeah. of the season in like, what, the first two or three episodes? And then left us high and dry the rest of the season. I'm like, this is the first true like romantic development that we're getting. Because I can't count Uraraka and Midoriya because she like set her feelings aside. So here we finally get that shit. Everyone went crazy for it. And then they gave us nothing else. So I really hope that 
gets uh, tapped into in season seven. What about you? To comment on that really quickly, I don't think they ever directly talk to each other about their feelings, Jiro and Kaminari. No, they don't. And the only interaction that we get since that episode where he like looks back and sees like Jiro's face as you know, he yeah. cuts to the forest. The only interaction we get between them, I think, like since then, is at the last episode when mm-hmm. she like uses her little earbud thing to like put her quote unquote arm around him. Right. And he's kinda like, What the fuck? That was it. I was like, what the hell? Like, at least have some conversation because that was a very meaningful moment. Yeah, maybe it's just that, you know, these kids know that there are other things to prioritize <laughs> in in the present. Um, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully more teenage romance in My Hero at some point. But as for my final thoughts, I would actually give season six a nine out of ten. Damn, okay. I think My Hero has moved on from the shadow that it was cast under in season five with this balls to the wall season six that definitely went beyond plus ultra and exceeding my expectations. The stakes have definitely been raised more than ever with hero society backed up against the wall after the events of the first core and with Midoriya struggling and bearing the burden of facing all for one as it seems to have been faded in the second core It also affirms that he is not alone in this fight as the conversation turns from my hero academia to our hero academia. And just picture that Bugs Bunny (laughs) Soviet meme. Uh, But even if this whole thing is just a variation of that power of friendship anime trope, it feels like all aspects of what it means to be a hero that we've explored in previous seasons are finally converging in what will be a redemptive arc for hero society as Midoriya leads the charge in bringing back the true and unblemished ideals of heroism in a world where that authenticity has been sorely absent for both their supporters and their detractors. I still find it a little bewildering that my hero has already entered its final arc, given that all of these events have only happened within Midoriya's first year at UA, and especially given that His adaptability to One for All's increasing powers was a bit rushed to get him towards the conclusion of his his sad boy era arc. But I think it's better that the series know when it's time to wrap things up in epic fashion rather than overstay its heroic welcome back into the top tier anime column. So it very much pleases me to say with confidence that I cannot wait for my hero to come back with season seven, potentially its last one or one of its last runs in anime form. And for us to bear witness to how not just Midoriya, but all his classmates become the greatest heroes. I just want romance in season seven. I would I would love it. You got like Midoriya and Uraraka. You've got Todoroki and Momo. You've got Jiro and Kaminati. You've got um, Ashido and Kirishima. Is, am I forgetting any? I don't know. There's probably some other all ones for one in power. You, you, you had <laughs> you had Mineta in Midnight, but she's dead. So. Oh, oh, poor Midnight. <laughs> but anyway, like I hope you there's got something. Aoyama and himself. <laughs> <laughs> if season seven's the last season, I hope there's romance. Even if it's not the last season, I hope there's romance. Because, uh, yeah, we need a little bit of love in this dark, dark time that we're about to enter with this final act. But thank you guys, as always, for tuning in, and we look forward to tackling Season 7 whenever that premieres. As always, subscribe to Strictly Animate on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. 
If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash strictly series and tune into Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.